we light the third candle of Advent, the peace candle. And remember what is written in the Gospel of Luke. Because of God's tender mercy, the dawn will break upon us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. The Christmas story is a story of peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. In a world filled with brokenness, violence, injustice, pandemics, and every sort of evil imaginable, Jesus brings peace. Are you afraid? Discover the peace of Christ. Are you worried? Discover the peace of Christ. Are you stressed? Discover the peace of Christ. Are you broken? Discover the peace of Christ. Are you lonely? Discover the peace of Christ. May our feet discover the way of peace which is found only in Christ. May our journeys this Christmas season lead us to discover the path to peace which is Jesus Christ. Merry Christmas, everyone. Welcome again to the service. So glad that you could join us online, church family, friends, and guests and visitors. If you've just tuned in, just checking out New Life and the service and maybe church and Christianity, you came to the right spot because we are talking about the promise of God, and especially as we see it in the Christmas story found in the Gospel of Luke in the Bible. It's a wonderful story. But the reality is for you and me is that we often live in the shadow of broken promises. On CNN this week was that headline, Broken Promises. Basically, the, the whole story is that there are 39,000 Australians trying to get home for Christmas. And in September, the Prime Minister and the Health Minister both said, we will get all Australians that want to come home, home for Christmas. And yet here we are two weeks out to Christmas and there's 39,000 Australian citizens trying to get home and logistically it's impossible. And they're living in the shadow of this broken promise. We've come to almost expect politicians at least to break their promises. One of the PolitiFacts said that Barack Obama made 533 promises. He kept 48% of them and he broke 24% of them. And, and actually that's a pretty good, good percentage. We say, oh, he did pretty good. And not just Obama, but all the presidents, prime ministers, leaders. And sometimes it even gets more personal than that. Your employer, your coach, your spouse, maybe a trusted adult. Maybe it's like the story that Dennis Waitley shares in his book, The New Dynamics of Winning. As a child, he was nine years old living on an army base in San Diego. And there were soldiers on base. His father was stationed overseas fighting in World War II. And, and these young soldiers would befriend the kids on, 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 on the base. And, and this one soldier made a promise to him. He said, hey, do you, would you like to go fishing in the bay? And Dennis said, I'd love to go fishing in the bay. He'd fished on the pier. He'd fished on the shore. But he never fished out in the water. He says, tomorrow at 5 a.m., we're going to go fishing in the bay. And Dennis Waitley was so excited. He, he got everything ready. And he 
went to bed that night. He couldn't sleep. He kept looking at the ceiling and looking at his clock. He got up at three in the morning and oiled all his reels and got all his lines ready and the bait prepared. And four o'clock, he got up and made his sandwiches, made his fruit punch. And 4.30, he was out on the curb waiting for the, the, the soldier to show up. And at 5 a.m. came and, and he's waiting and waiting and waiting and no soldier showed up. 5.15, no soldier showed up. 5.30, 6, 6.30, Seven, and he realized he had broke his promise. He says in the book, that probably was a pivotal point in my life in terms of self-reliance. That probably was a pivotal point in my life in terms of self-reliance. You see, Dennis Waitley then went to this little flea market he had been to all summer. And he went to this one table where he had seen throughout the summer that this particular vendor was selling this used rubber dinghy, one-man dinghy. And he took his earnings from all his lawn cutting and lawn mowing over the summer and he bought that dinghy and he brought it home and he spent the next two and a half hours blowing that dinghy up. And then he carried that dinghy with his fishing equipment, with his sandwiches, with his fruit punch and he went down to the bay and he got in that dinghy and he paddled out to the middle of the bay and he caught fish and he ate sandwiches and he drank fruit punch and he said, yeah, who can you rely on in life? Yourself. And many of us feel that way. Who can you really trust? What promises really are true and reliable? And then you come to the Christmas story and we find something different. We find people who find who God makes promises to and God keeps those promises. In the beginning of Luke, he introduces us to this couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. And he promises Zechariah that he's going to have a son. Now, they're ancient. Her ovaries have long you know, dried up, and, and they are not producing eggs. But God says, your wife will have a son. You're going to name him John. And he almost doesn't, he's like, really? Are you sure? And the, and the angel's like, look, I came from the very presence of God to tell you this, and now you're not going to speak anything. And, and so Zechariah came out of the temple, and it's a great story at the beginning of Luke, but it's a promise. They're going to have a son. Last week, if you watched, Pastor Frank shared with us the promise that God makes through the angel Gabriel to Mary. This young maiden, virgin, living in Nazareth, no-name no town, you know, one-horse town, and, and, and just kind of just out of the blue, this angel shows up and is like, greetings, Mary, and, and i got a promise for you. You're going to bear the Messiah. And Mary's like, okay, I, I, wow, well, how does that work? I'm, you know, I, I don't... I've never been with a man, you know, and, and God's like, look, what's not possible with people is possible with me. And, and in this week, those two promises will collide. At the end of God's promise to Mary, there in verse 36 of chapter 1, God says through the angel Gabriel to Mary, and look, your, Elizabeth, your relative Elizabeth has already become pregnant with a son in her old age. Although she was called barren, she is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. So Mary said, yes, I am a servant of the Lord. Let this happen to me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. And so here she is. She is receiving the promise, and the truth of it is, is this, nothing will be impossible with God. God says, I've made this promise to you, and guess what? I've also made a promise to your, to your ancient cousin, you know, the one who, who was past childbearing years. She's going to have a kid, too. And just because I've kept that promise, I will keep this promise to you, Mary. You can count and rely on me. Nothing will be impossible with God. 
The problem with a lot of promises is, is you wonder, well, how, how do you actually keep that promise? How do you fulfill that promise? Well, you need to have the power to do so. And in Luke chapter 1, we're going to discover that God has the power to keep his own promises. Then when God says something, it, it, it's a, it's, it, you can consider that it's done. It's not a matter of, of if God keeps his promise. It's a matter of when will God keep his promise. And that's what we find here in Luke chapter 1. Well, there's a little story here, and I just want to read it. This is the backstory to our text today, which is the fulfillment of, of the birth of John the Baptist. But the backstory is this. Mary receives this revelation from God through the angel. You're going to have a child, you know, and, and, and at the end of that revelation, and your, and your cousin's going to have a child too. And so it says in verse 39, In those days Mary got up and went hurriedly into the hill country to a town of Judah and entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. She's like, i got to go see this. A significant trip from Nazareth down to the hill country of Judah. But it's worth it because they are both walking in the reality of the promises of God. And it says that, verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now understand, aside from the angel Gabriel telling Mary that her cousin was pregnant, they really didn't know too much of each other's situations. She doesn't know that Mary has a secret too, that Mary has a promise too. But in that moment, the Holy Spirit confirms it. That child leaps for joy in her womb, and then she begins to speak under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. She's prophesying here in verse 42. She said, she exclaimed with a loud voice, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child in your womb. Now Mary's not told that she's pregnant. But God has told speaking through Elizabeth to Mary. He is confirming in that moment to Mary, yeah, that's a promise that God made to you. This really is happening. I'm pregnant. You see it here. You're pregnant. I don't see it. You don't see it. Maybe you don't even feel it, but we both know it. And who am I, she says in verse 43, that I, that the mother of my Lord should come and visit me. She not only recognizes that Mary's pregnant, but she's like, that baby is God himself, the mother of my Lord. Now, normally, younger people would be subservient to, to the older people. You would respect your elders. You'd, so, you know, you'd show, you know, show them the respect that they're due. But in this case, the older is showing respect to the younger. Why? Because the younger has someone greater in her womb, the Messiah, the Lord. She says, verse 44, the instant the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that what was spoken to her by the Lord would be fulfilled. Now here's the key themes that Luke wants to bring out. There's promise, and in the promises of God there is blessing. And when you believe what God says to be true, you are on the pathway to experiencing his blessing. That's the Christmas story. God has not given up on his people. And Luke actually wants us to know he's not given up on the world. That even though we're stuck in a situation and we live in the shadows of, of broken promises all around us, we don't have to worry about God breaking his promises. God keeps his promises. And we'll celebrate at the end of this sermon that as well, that reality. And so that leads us into the birth of John. In verse 57, we get back to, you know, the, the, 
pregnancy of Elizabeth. And the time came for Elizabeth to have her baby, and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. You see, when promises are fulfilled, there is a moment of great joy that accompanies God's promises. Where there are God's promises, there is God's joy. Throughout the Christmas story, if you read through it on your own, you'll discover Luke keeps bringing up this, this theme, joy, 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 joy. Where is Jesus? There is joy. We'll get there again as, as Zechariah later on, but, but just understand that, that that joy is a component of Christmas, and it's tied to the promises of God. Joy, joy, joy. But Zechariah is still, still silent. It says in verse 59, on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they wanted to name him Zachariah after his father. This was the Jewish custom. Uh, boys were circumcised. That was a symbol of the covenant, that they belonged to the people of, of Israel, that, that Abraham was their forefather. That was the sign that they were people set apart to God. This is what they were commanded to do in the Old Testament, in, in, the, in the Hebrew Scriptures. Of course, Zechariah can't talk. They... People, obviously, aunties, uncles, cousins, sisters. I don't know who's there, but they're, they're, they're by group consensus saying, well, let's just name him Zechariah because we should name him after his father. I mean, he's an old man. Surely he'd want his child to be his namesake. It says in verse 60, but his mother replied, no, he must be named John. Now, this is adamant. The Greek text is, is even clear about that. It's adamant. No, no, no. He, he must be named John. See, that's what the angel told Zechariah. When he, God gave him that promise, you're going to have a son, you must name him John. And obviously, Zechariah's communicated to Elizabeth probably by writing in these last 10 months. And he's like, look, when this baby's born, his name will be John. And they said to her, verse 61, but none of your relatives bears that name. So they made signs to the baby's father inquiring what he wanted to name his son. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they were all amazed. I mean, where did this name come from? It came from the promise of God. God made them a promise. He spoke his word. He said, you're going to have a son. And suddenly she gets pregnant. So they see this is God's hand at work. He says, you will name that son John. The pause for a moment. The truth of the matter is, when we have God's promises, there we find God's blessings. But in the middle of that formula is God's way. God's promises plus God's way equals God's blessing. Like we love the promises of God and we love the blessings of God, but sometimes we don't like that middle part of the equation. I want to claim your promises, I want to receive your blessings, but I want it my way, God. As long as you, you know, accommodate my desires in this and, and, and my will in this, God, I'll, I'll, it'll be great. But God's like, no, this is the way it works. My promises, my ways, my blessings. And Zechariah, after 10 months of sitting there thinking, I am not going to blow that this time. The angel told me to name him John. He will be named John. God said it. I'm going to do it. The reason some people miss out on God's blessings they may claim the promise, but they refuse to follow his way. Maybe you're hanging there today. You, you've heard his word, you've read it, you want to believe it, and, and you'd maybe do in your head believe it, but then when he says, and this is what those who, who believe my way 
live. This is how they follow. This is the response they give to me. This is the surrender and the submission to my will that comes with my promise. They're like, I I don't want to receive that portion. And as a result, they don't experience the blessing. Zechariah, as he receives the promise, as he trusts in God's ways, he's adamant that this child will be named John. You see, word plus obedience equals blessing. That's another way you could frame that. God's word, obedience to that word, blessing. And that pattern will be repeated throughout the Gospel of Luke and throughout the New Testament. God's promises, God's plan, God's way, God's blessing. Well, the story goes on right after that, verse 64. Immediately, Zechariah's mouth was open. You see, he obeys God's way and boom, the blessing. You can talk again. (laughs) And there he is. And his tongue released, and he spoke, blessing God. And the content of that will be here at the end of this sermon here. But there, just to finish the narrative, he says, All the neighbors were filled with fear throughout the entire hill country of Judah. All these things were talked about. All who heard these things kept them in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the Lord's hand was indeed with him. So as John will come into the scene in Jesus' ministry later in the Gospel of Luke, we all know as readers of this Gospel where he came from. He came from the promise of God to his parents, but it was a bigger promise. It was the promise of God to a nation. It was the promise of God to the world that he would bring a savior. And John would play a crucial role in that. But here's Zechariah and Elizabeth. They're obeying God. They've learned their lesson. He's been silent for 10 months. Now you, you, think, you think if he got his, his voice, he might complain, might criticize, might be like, oh, that was awful. But what comes out of his mouth is praise. 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 And it says in verse 67, then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. And we get this thing called the Benedictus, which in the, in the Latin translation is the first word, the Benedictus. You know, the, Mary's praise is the Magnificat. This is the Benedictus. And this is kind of a poetry, but it, it's, it's a praise. And it gives us the content of the promise, the content of the promise. And he says there in verse 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel because he has come to help and has redeemed his people. What's the promise? That God has shown up. And not only has he shown up, but he's shown up to bring freedom. That word redeemed comes from the slave market. When you'd buy a slave and and, and purchase their freedom, he's like, "He he has set us free. He's come to help. You see, the Jews often wondered, where was God in the many trials they went through? And so do we. Where is God? Where is God? Where is God? And Zachary says, God is here. He has arrived. He is bringing freedom with him. And he describes that salvation and the the nature of, of this Messiah in verse 69 to 71. He says, for he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And this is, of course, an Old Testament idiom describing the, the regal power of, of someone in authority. A king has arrived, and he's not just a weak king. He's, not, you know, he's, got, he's a powerful king in the house of his servant David. Just as he spoke, verse 70, through the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. You see the promise there? That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. God is coming to bring deliverance for us just as he promised. And he says in verse 72, 73, he has done this to show mercy to our ancestors 
and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham. You see, he's, he's, he's like, this, this promise is bigger than Zechariah. This promise is bigger than Mary. This promise goes back to Abraham. God made a promise that a deliverer would come, that there would be a day when people could live in a restored relationship to God. You see that? Verse 74, that this oath grants that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, may serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him as long as we live. This Messiah will restore things to the way that they were meant to be. This is restoration in action. You see, what, what the reality is, we were created to, to serve him without fear. We were created to, to, to live before him in, in holiness and righteousness. But when sin entered the world, all those things became marred and blurred. And Zechariah says in this prophecy, this Messiah will restore us to the place where we were meant to be to be the people we were meant to be, to live the way we were, and to enjoy God the way we were meant to. And then he speaks to his son, John the Baptist. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. What a wonderful thing. Like, you understand, Zachariah and Elizabeth are living in the epicenter of God's promise. They're seeing salvation history played out in front of their very eyes. Their son, and they probably wouldn't have lived to have seen him do this. They're old. By the time he got to be 30 and Jesus was 30 and starting his ministry, they're, they're probably long gone. But they're like, wow, salvation is here. And your role will be to, to prepare people for this reality. It's not political freedom. It's eternal freedom. It's the freedom from guilt and shame. It's forgiveness of sins and salvation. This is global in nature. He says in verse 78, because of God's tender mercy, the dawn will break upon us from on high. That a new era is dawning. A new age is, is upon us. And this really is a transition from the old covenant to the new covenant. We, we, are, we are changing gears. God is bringing his plan to fruition and to completion here in the Savior, in the Messiah. And John's going to be the, the, the forerunner to that plan. He says, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. You see, the scripture presents it really clearly. If you don't know God in a relationship to Jesus Christ, you are in darkness. And Jesus was sent into a world of darkness to bring the light of God into our lives. That's the promise. The promise is, is, is you don't have to live in guilt and shame forever. The promise is you don't have to carry the, the burden of your sin forever. The promise is that there is a new day, there's a new opportunity, there is new life in Jesus Christ. The promise is that God's light can shine into your life and lead you in a new path and a new direction. That's what we're here as a church, we're all about. Moving up and out in new life in Jesus Christ. And that is grounded in the promises of God that we discover in the Christmas story. And the final aspect of verse 79 is that, and to guide our feet into the way 
of peace. It's a wonderful promise. That God says there is a way of peace. In, in the Hebraic thought, peace was shalom. It was the wholeness, the completeness of God. It was the heart at rest in relationship with God and with others. He's like, there is a way of peace, and that will come through the Messiah, who will dawn of, the dawning of a new era, the shining of, of fresh light into this world, and a new path into peace. We're going to talk about that path here at the end of this sermon. But the truth of the matter is that God keeps his promises. And what we, what we encounter in this story is, is joy, peace, promise, blessing, fulfillment. It's all there. And it's a reminder to us that as we enter our, this Christmas season, we can still be joyful. We can still have God's peace, no matter what the circumstances we, we face. And, and all of us are in unique circumstances. We will not be able to have certain traditions, but because of the promises of God, because of the person of Christ, because that God keeps his promises, we can experience joy and peace and God's very presence with us as we move through our own Christmas. And so here's, here's the sermon in, in, in four points. Number one, God keeps his promises. You can count on that. You can take that to the bank. When God says it, consider it done. Not will he do it, but when will he do it? And that's our challenge is sometimes we have to wait. But he always keeps his word. So, number two, you should know his promises. You can't claim something you don't know. We know his promises by reading his word. We discover those promises as we discover the message of God to us in the Bible. Know his promises. Number three is, is believe it. It's, it's one thing to have mental knowledge, but you need to actually believe that what you're reading and what you're seeing is actually true. I mean, sometimes you, you look at something and say, well, that's really nice words, but I don't believe it. I, I, I understand it. I comprehend it, but I, I don't really want to, you know, move forward with it. But no, believe in it. Believe his promises. See what happens to Zechariah? He doesn't believe, and he's silenced for 10 months. At the end of 10 months, he believes. That boy's name will be John. You know, he's, he's into the promises now. Believe his promises. And number four, follow his promises. This is where we take the word of God and put it into action, Right? God's promise, God's way, God's blessing. As we navigate life this Christmas, we need to just walk in the reality of those promises, knowing them, believing them, following them. And we see this in the life of Mary and the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth. They are just going to do what God asked them to do, and as they do it, they discover God's blessing. And that's our hope and prayer for each of you. If, and if you're watching this and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, today I invite you to receive Christ as your Savior. God sent Jesus into the world to be our Savior. And so you can not only know about him, you can believe in him and now you can follow him. That's Luke's intention in writing this gospel is that we would at the end of this be like, of course I'm gonna follow Jesus. What else would I do? That, that makes natural sense. God made a promise. He kept his promise. He's given us a Savior. We can follow this Savior. And we can experience his blessing. We're walking in the way of peace, which brings us to that 
communion time here. I hope you have your bread and your cup in front of you. I'm just going to use the small little disposable version here this, this, this morning, this today as we celebrate communion together. I am doing it here. There's several people here in this room doing it with me. You're doing it in your room, your office, your car, wherever you're watching this sermon. Those of you that are believers in Jesus Christ, have received Christ as your Savior, are following him, I invite you to join with me as we celebrate communion virtually across multiple places in in different times. We are centering our lives together around Jesus Christ, the way of peace together. The scripture says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ that we have a new standing with God because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for us. That's what we're celebrating here. We are centering our lives this Christmas around Christ. We may not be able to center around our family traditions, around our, our, our travel plans, but we can center them around Jesus Christ. And that's what we are going to do here right now. This little baby would grow up live a perfect life, perform all sorts of miracles, teach great sermons. And at the end of his life, he'd gather near the end, his disciples together, celebrating the Passover. The Passover was that Jewish feast celebrating the deliverance, the exodus from slavery into the promised land. And Jesus like, there's a new Passover happening right now. That was a physical one. This is a spiritual one. We're going to pass from death to life because I'm going to die for everyone's sins. He didn't quite say it that way. I'm just giving you the interpretation. But he says... Matthew 26, verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. Would you pray with me as we give thanks for the bread, which symbolizes the body of Jesus Christ that was placed on the cross on our behalf as our substitute. We thank you, Father, for sending your son Jesus to be our perfect substitute to die in our place, to take upon himself the penalty, the punishment for sin. He got what we deserved in order that you could give us what we don't deserve. And we partake right now of this bread in remembrance of the body and of the person, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who died for us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Scripture says, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Would you partake with me as we remember the body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the same manner, he took the cup and he gave thanks. The cup was a cup of wine that represent the blood of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ once and for all for sins. So join me as we give thanks for the cup. Our Father, we thank you for this cup which reminds us of the blood of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And the scripture tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sins. But Christ's blood was shed once for all. And we across this region and maybe even across the world are drinking little cups of juice in remembrance of that once and for all sacrifice for our sins. 
And we do it with great thanksgiving and appreciation. That today we stand before you forgiven, redeemed, cleansed, sanctified, because we have a perfect Savior whose lifeblood was poured out so that we could have a relationship with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. He said to them, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood, the blood of the covenant, that is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you from now on, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let us remember our Savior together. We thank you, Lord, for this Christmas season. I pray your blessing upon every family that's watching, scattered throughout different times and places, and yet we are one in you. Encourage the lonely. Strengthen the weak. Fill us with your joy and guide us in the path of peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. So glad you could join us today. Thank you, team. Thank you, tech team. And we really look forward to seeing you on Christmas Eve as you watch the service and celebrate the birth of Christ with us together on Christmas Eve. But as we close the service today, I just want to bring you the benediction from Hebrews chapter 13. And now, may the God of peace, who by the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, our Lord Jesus Christ, equip you with every good thing to do his will, working in us what is pleasing before him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Have a great one.